Good morning, church. Good morning. There we go. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, we're going to be continuing our series going through the Ten Commandments. So that means we are in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, let's go ahead and flip there. If you got a Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, as we've been doing throughout the series, we're actually going to read together, uh, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 7, because we're looking at the third commandment this morning. Uh, so, let's all do this together. Ready? And God... So the first commandment prohibited the worship of false gods, and the second prohibited worshiping God in the wrong way. Both seem pretty foundational. And then we come to the third commandment, and it can, it can maybe feel a touch under, underwhelming. Watch what you say. Don't swear. Be careful of your OMGs. And, and I think in part, I think in part that's due to a, a cultural disconnect between them then and us now. And, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but, but here's the reality. This command has way more to do than just what comes out of our mouths. It also has to do with our actions and our attitudes. Fundamentally, fundamentally, the third commandment is about valuing and honoring God. Who he is in his character and what he's done for us in Jesus. This commandment is for all of those whom, just like the Israelites of old, is for all of those whom have been redeemed by God and called his own. This is for all of us who, who want to make much of the name that is above every name. This is a, a relevant command for each and every one of us whom God has saved, who say that he is our Father, our Lord, and our Savior. This, this command is, is grace for us today. So the way we're, we're going to tackle this commandment is by asking three questions. What's in a name? How do we misuse God's name? And then how do we honor God's name? So question number one, what is in a name? So as I said, part of the disconnect for us is, is culture. Right, So for us, some 2,000 years later in a Western culture, I, I think we have a, a different conception, often most of us, of what, what is a name. I think often when we think of a name, we think of a, of a label, maybe something that has aesthetic value. No, that's a, that's a pretty name, right? But for the Hebrews, the name was inseparable from the person. It expressed a person's inward identity. But I actually do think that we, we get this, though, if we think about it. Our names do inevitably mark us, even if their actual meanings don't, don't align. The reality is over time, as people get to know us, our names actually embody who we are. Uh, my name is, is Stuart, 
Uh, I don't know how many Stuarts you know. I've only met like three in my life. You see some that get to be characters on TV shows. But if you get to know me, you don't think of a label. You don't think of how it's spelled. You think of me. You think of who I am. When the, word, when the name Stuart comes, you think of who I am and, 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 and what I do and what I'm about. I mean, if you have a spouse, just think about it. When, when someone says your spouse's name, Lauren, that's my spouse. When someone says Lauren, I... I don't think of just a label. I don't think of L-A-U. No, I think of who she is and the way she loves and cares for our children. So I think we do get this, right? And there's a reason why when kids leave the house, parents might say, you know, do, do right by our name, right? Or don't embarrass the family name, right? And we're also familiar with common phrases like, you've really made a name for yourself. So I, th- I think we get this. And so the third commandment, suffice it to say, is not about misusing a label, but about misusing, misapplying, or wrongly associating God's very being. When we use the name of God, we're referring to the very essence of his divine being. The the all caps Lord, so capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is in reference to God's personal and covenant name, Yahweh, right? So just a little side note, you'll see in your Old Testament, you'll see the all caps Lord, then you see the capital L lowercase O-R-D, the the capital L lowercase O-R-D is in reference to God's kingly title, uh, Adonai. He's the sovereign one. But when we see the all caps Lord, we are engaging with God's personal and covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh represents his entire being, his reputation, his character, and his saving power. It literally means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. It speaks of identity. And God revealed himself as Yahweh way before he gave the commandment. So, so we're looking at 10 commandments. We're in Exodus chapter 20, but all the way back in Exodus chapter 3 is when God revealed himself as Yahweh. This is before Mount Sinai, before providing water from the rock, before providing bread from heaven, before parting the Red Sea, before guiding his people by a pillar of cloud by day and a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, before saving his people and showing his power and might over Pharaoh and Egypt through the plagues, God graciously and personally revealed himself to his reluctant servant, Moses, in a burning bush. Back in Exodus 3, after being commissioned by God to be his instrument, to to go and, and, and proclaim and be his instrument of salvation to his people, Moses asks God, okay, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Because of God's great love for his people, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, by the time the Israelites received the commandments, they were to know that God's name testified to his saving power. The psalmist in Psalm 106.8 knew it. That's why when he praised God for how God saved his people at the Red Sea, he said, Yahweh saved them for his namesake. 
that he might make known his mighty power. God's name, it communicates who he is and what he's done. And the, the, scriptures, the scriptures talk about this over and over again. In Exodus 33, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God speaks to Moses his name. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You see, to, to know the name Yahweh is to personally know the God of grace and mercy. And to personally know the God of grace and mercy is to receive his grace and mercy. In Psalm 8.1, David's saying, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And David wasn't praising a label, but praising the very God who is supremely beautiful as compared to his creation. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. This wasn't trust in a label, but trust in the very God who powerfully saves and thus his name, who he is and what he's done for them is worthy of trust. And as we move through redemptive history, we hear the apostles proclaim there is no other name Referring to Jesus, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But how can this be true in light of all that we've been discussing in the Old Testament? It is because in Jesus, Yahweh came in flesh. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And looking back to the Exodus account, Jesus points to himself and says, I am. Hebrews 1, 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, Jesus isn't like Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. And due to Jesus' saving work on the cross, the, the culminating event in all of redemptive history is described like this in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Now, what we may not realize is Paul is actually applying to Jesus what Yahweh said of himself in Isaiah 45, 23. Listen, to me, Yahweh, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. The third commandment is about valuing and honoring God because to honor and value God's name is to value and honor God himself. All right, let's consider the next question. How do we misuse God's name? Well, let, let's start here. What, what does it actually mean to take the name of, the, of our Lord God in vain? More literally, the commandment would be, you should not take up the name of Yahweh your God for nothingness. Now, this does not mean that we should 
not refer to or speak God's name. That, that's, that's a misnomer. Our, our Old Testaments uh, use uh, the name Yahweh some 7,000 times. It's in our oldest manuscripts that we have. It was on the lips of the biblical authors. And, and what's more, God himself gave his name, his personal name, so that we might use it. I mean, like in all relationships and being able to call God by his personal name strengthens our relationship with him. If you didn't know or I didn't tell you that my name was Stuart and all that you had was, hey, guy, what up, dude? Uh, there'd be a little bit of a disconnect between our personal relationship. The, the intimacy would probably be on the touch of the cold side. God graciously and lovingly wants us to personally address him. No, the, the commandment in warning us to not misuse his name, to not take his name in lighthearted ways, it is a warning to not defame his reputation and character. Phil Riken, we we've mentioned him and commend his book to you. Uh, uh, he says this, the specific misuse that God has in mind is speaking about him carelessly, thoughtlessly, or even flippantly, as if he didn't matter or really didn't exist at all. You, you see, to associate Yahweh's name with things that are worthless is to actually declare that he is worthless. You see, to associate Yahweh's name with things that are, are vile and crass is to actually declare that God himself is vile and crass. You, you see, to associate Yahweh's name with sin is to denigrate God's personal holiness. So there's a couple ways that the Old Testament says that the third commandment can be violated. I think the common one that we normally think about is blasphemy or cursing the name of God. Leviticus 24, 16 says, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. In its most basic, blasphemy is speaking about God in uh, degrading and irreverent ways. But, but it also includes speaking of him carelessly and flippantly. Now, Leviticus, what we just read there in Leviticus is laws to the nation of Israel. But for us, the translation for a brother and sister who obstinately and unrepentantly blasphemes God would be, would be more like church discipline, not, not public execution. Nevertheless, the point of the severity of the sin remains. Another way the Bible speaks about misusing God's name is attaching his name to empty or false oaths. Again, Leviticus chapter 19, 12 says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. So people in the ancient Near East would invoke one of the gods to affirm their statement. You know, go like, hey, uh, if, if I'm not telling the truth, may, may this God strike me down or, or kill me uh, where I stand. For the Jews, God would be used as a, as a legal witness of sorts to sort of confirm the veracity of their statements. When God's name is used to confirm 
or to persuade towards what is false rather than what is true, the third commandment is violated. Just to be clear, this is not, and many of you may actually find yourselves in these situations, this is not, you know, putting your hand on the Bible and swearing to God. If you are telling the truth, that is different. Again, when, when God's name is used to confirm or persuade towards what is false rather than what is true, the third commandment is violated. That, that, that said, in speaking about oaths, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, wisely, Jesus tells us that we should simply let our word of yes be yes and our word of no be no. The third commandment is also violated through the use of false visions, false prophecy, false claims to speak for God. False prophets use God's name to advance their own agenda and their punishment was death. Deuteronomy 13.5 says, the false prophet or that false dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against Yahweh, your God. So here we go. Many of us can hear stuff like this and sort of the gut reaction can be, that's not me. And, and I think by God's grace, that, that may well be the case. That may not be you. It may not be you most of the time. But I think if we're honest, we can misuse God's name. Some of us have a propensity to use God or Jesus Christ as curse words, and we may explain it away based on the environments that we're in. Cursing isn't the only way to treat the Lord's name lightly. There's flippant humor where God ends up being the punchline. Now, maybe you realize that to have certain words actually come out of your mouth is a, is a no-no, but, but what about your, your thoughts and your attitudes? How often do we come into corporate worship singing biblical truths that seek to ascribe glory to God's name? And at best, we do so distracted or unfocused. Or at worst, flippant or thoughtless, just going through the motions as if this doesn't really matter, I'm just checking off a box. I think if we're honest, all of us at times can be tempted to and choose to treat the Lord's name lightly. And what we need to come to grips with, me, me included, we need to come to grips with that in those moments we are saying something about our view of God. As Christians, we bear, we literally bear the name of Christ. And so what's more, it's, it's not merely our words or thoughts or attitudes, it's, it's also our actions. When our conduct does not honor the name of Jesus, we violate the third commandment. When we're not kind and gentle, loving, patient, humble, we besmirch the name of Jesus. We, we not only offend and do wrong to neighbor, but we besmirch the name of of Jesus. Let's keep thinking about this. If we use the name of God to ascribe a false sense of authority to our ideas, plans, or opinions, we violate the third commandment. Let's talk about politics for just a minute. We must be absolutely sure 
that the Bible speaks crystal clear about our preferred political policy before we start demanding that every Christian adheres to what we think. Now, let me just say that there is nothing wrong, it's absolutely fine to engage with politics and, and policies, but we need to realize that the majority of the time, most of the time, we are engaging with biblical principles, not commands. And, and as such, we, we should expect that sincere and true believers can and will have differing convictions. And so, for love of brother, we need to be very careful to not turn our personal convictions into biblical commands. It can be so easy, right, to ascribe our candidate, our, our party, our platform to God himself, but we need to tread lightly so as not to misuse God's name. Brothers and sisters, God has a kingdom. And we are his citizens, and he has a king, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Let's keep thinking about this. Scholar Phil Riken, again, he suggests another serious way that we can break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. He says this, some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this. Or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. This is false prophecy, he says. And here's why God has already said whatever he needs to say in his word. Of course, there's also an inward leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is an inward leaning, and it should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word from God. I, guys, I think we do well to steer clear of what sort of seems like the Christianese phrases of, you know, God told me to do this, or it's, it's God's will for me, you, us to, to do that. Guys, whether we realize it or not, or are trying to be intentional or not, these phrases mean something, and over time they start unconsciously changing the way that we think about these things. We must be very careful when attaching God's name, his, his character, his being, to our fallible decisions. Unless God is crystal clear, like in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says, this is, the, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Unless it's something like that, we need to steer clear of attaching God's name to our, our fallible and fallen decisions. It is all too easy to unhitch scripture, unhitch scripture from its original context and seek to apply it to our own right or wrong agendas. You know, what's super tragic is I think a lot of people don't even realize what they're doing, but what ends up happening is that they, they end up thinking that God is on their side and then they refuse to heed the counsel of other believers. Brothers and sisters, the person who misuses the name of Yahweh will be held accountable. There's a, there's a promise in this commandment. It serves as a warning. You guys notice it? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that if we, if we take the Lord's name in vain once, we're, we're guilty? 
No. No, the, the punishment is for those who willfully and arrogantly and unrepentantly and in an ongoing way take the name of the Lord in vain. Friends, in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins to include violating the third commandment. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, in speaking to believers who had just made, a, just made a glorious wreck of their lives, Paul reminded them, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is forgiveness in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness in that name, not because it is a label, but because of what it proclaims. The Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh in flesh, perfectly obeyed the commandments, perfectly honored God's name, never sinned once, died on the cross for our sinful violations, rose victoriously from the grave. And brothers and sisters in Christ, there is full forgiveness of sins in that name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can go, we can flee to that name. There is grace to repent and there is grace to receive his forgiveness. Okay, last question. How do we honor God's name? Well, there are many ways to do this. The Lord's name can be praised, it can be blessed, it can be celebrated, it can be proclaimed. But no matter the way, each means of honoring God's name is done by having a reverential respect for who God is and what he's done to save us in Jesus. Now, Paul probably articulates the fullest way that we can think about honoring God's name when, when he wrote in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means that we are to live in such a way explicitly not only in our actions, but even in what we say, that we live in such a way that he gets the glory and not us, that his name is made much of and not ours. We're called to intentionally live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. According to John Calvin, the, the purpose of the third commandment is, is this. God, God wills that we hallow the majesty of his name. We should be zealous, he says, and careful to honor his name with godly reverence. We ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God without reverence and much soberness. God wills that we hallow the majesty of his name. I don't know if you, because it's such an interesting word that it's hard for me not to, to hear that and think of the, the first request in the Lord's prayer, right? Hallowed be your name. You see, by God's grace, our, our, our heart's desire and our prayer should be to, 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 to that God's name be kept, that it be Set apart, that is what it is to, to hallow, to be kept, to be set apart for the purpose of worship. That's because of what his name communicates, 
who he is and what he's done for us. Martin Luther said that to honor God's name was to use that name in every time of need, to call on, pray to, praise, and give thanks to God. I mean, what better way to honor God's name than to call upon him in our time of need? And as Luther says, whether that's in praise or in request. Brothers and sisters, in our times of desperate need, Call upon the name of the Lord. Go quickly. Go eagerly, crying and pleading for him. The Lord is pleased when his children go to him and call him their father and honor his name. But the Lord is also pleased when we go to him when things are going well. Isn't it so... It's easy to get our minds wrapped fact, uh, around the fact of our neediness when, when things aren't going well. But the reality is that we need him all the time. We need his grace all the time. Look, the reality is when things are going well and, and you're saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, that's God's grace at work. And his name is due honor and glory. So friends, we need to be just as quick. Dare I say, it is exactly in those times when we need to be even more aware of how much we need God so that we honor his name. I I think or else quickly we will find ourselves seeping into self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Finally, we can honor God's name through proclamation and here's the thing, when we honor God's name through, through proclamation, his kingdom grows. You see, as we proclaim his name, who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus, and people, people believe on that name for the forgiveness of their sins, the miraculous effect is that God's kingdom grows. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. Let me give you one account. Uh, turn, turn with me to uh, Acts 19. Um, the screen's got what page numbers if you, if you got one of the, the red or blue Bible. If not, go to uh, Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to give you one, one account of, uh, uh, and we'll see that the Lord's name is misused, his reputation is besmirched, but God vindicates his name and we see his kingdom grow. So this is Acts 19, starting with verse 11. This is the the ever ever popular account of the sons of Sceva. So Acts 19, starting with verse 11. So God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. The evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits, they answered them. They said, hey, you know, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? You see, the response is because they've violated the third commandment. They're advancing their own agenda, not God's. They don't even know God. They violated the third commandment. And so 16 says, in the, in the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on, the sons of Sceva, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. 
17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. You, you, you better believe that. Both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God vindicated his name. 18, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And then, and then look, 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 look at the effect of God's name being vindicated and honored. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So when the name of the Lord is lifted up and it is extolled and it is proclaimed, people come to believe on that name and that God's kingdom, it grows. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's end here. God will bring honor and glory to his name. And one of the ways that he is pleased to do that is through his people. And so people of God, we can be assured that God will give us his empowering grace to honor, give glory to his name in all that we do, in our actions, in our speech, in our thoughts, so that we can make much of the name that is above every name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gracious commandments. Thank you for giving them to us to kindly guide us in righteousness. Thank you for giving us grace and freeing us so that we, that we might obey. Thank you for giving us grace and empowering us to obey, and thank you thank you for giving us grace, more grace, when there is obedience. This is just grace upon grace upon grace, and we give you thanks for that. Please help us. Please help us to be intentional with the ways that we think about living our lives so that your name will receive all the glory and honor and praise. Amen.